You're listening to the Community Pulse Podcast, a podcast on developer relations, community management, and everything in the tech community spectrum. Welcome your hosts, Mary Thangball, Jason Hand, and PJ Haggerty. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Community Pulse. We are here today with two awesome guests, and we're talking about audience segmentation and why it's necessary and how it's important and how it applies to developer relations. I am Mary Thingball. You can find me on Twitter at Mary underscore Grace, and I've got PJ with me here today as well. Hey, everybody. It's me, PJ. I am at Esplenic, A-S-P-L-E-E-N-I-C on Twitter. And we're super excited about today's episode. We're going to have a lot of good time. Uh, Jason will not be joining us. He is on tour, I believe, with Microsoft Ignite right now, uh, which is awesome. No, good he's, for actually, Jason. he's actually leading a uh, bluegrass festival in like- That's a better Aspen. tour. That's a better tour. Totally is. All right. Yeah. So Jason's <laughs> so being he's Jason. having an awesome time. Yes. Yes. I can only imagine the amount of Instagram droppage he's doing right now. <laughs> but uh, but let's focus. We have a show here to produce, um, and it's going to be an awesome show. We're going to talk about uh, audience segmentation. But before we get started, uh, we need to say a little something about our sponsors. Our podcast today is sponsored by Devada, empowering developers to learn, share, grow, and succeed via technology-specific web communities. Devada's Answer Hub software powers developer relations communities for some of the biggest technology and tech-enabled companies in the world, including Disney Pixar, Epic Games, and IBM. And if you're a developer, you've likely been to dzone.com for user-contributed technical learning resources. Visit communitypulse.io slash Devada for more information. That's D-E-V-A-D-A. All right, so let's get started. Uh, SJ, how about you introduce yourself first? Sure. Hi, everyone. Um, I, my name is Sarah Jane Morris, and please call me SJ for short. Um, you can find me on all of the internets at Sarah Jane Morris, um, and that's Sarah with an H, so, you know, that's the best Sarah there is, so I just wanted to say that. Shout out to Sarah with an H. Um, I am the founder and principal consultant at Listen Community Consulting, um, where I work with developer communities. I've been doing all kinds of cool developer community stuff for about eight years now. Um, I've worked at companies like Intel, Shopify, and in November, I am starting a new gig on the DevRel team at HubSpot, and I'm super excited. Um, and I can't wait to talk about today's topic. I think it's super important. So thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Jesse, how about you introduce yourself as well? Awesome. Thanks, Mary. Um, my name is Jesse Davis. I'm Executive Vice President of Product and Technology here at Devada. Uh, I've been leading development teams for about 20 years. Uh, I've been a developer myself. Uh, they're my tribe, I like to say. They're my people. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I really enjoy is trying to figure out how to help them grow and learn better together every single day. And we do that here by building some of the world's biggest developer communities by focusing on what they need. And so I'm super excited to be with y'all today and talk a little bit more about that. Awesome. Well, we're glad you're both here too. Uh, we think this is a really important topic and we should probably dive straight into it. So why, when it comes to building out a developer relations strategy, when you're looking at what you want to do with a community, why is audience segmentation important? Why is that a key to building what you want to see in your DevRel strategy? Well, um, I'll jump in if that's cool. Um, so, okay, we constantly hear about companies coming to us, you know, as developer relations folks and developer community folks, they're like, get me in front of developers. I need to talk to these developers. And I think for a large segment of 
the non-developer familiar audience. Developers are just this big audience that are kind of lumped into one category. And we know very well that there's many, many different kinds of developers um, that have all different kinds of motivations and you know things that they're trying to achieve. And so when it comes to dividing and conquering your kind of DevRel strategy, it's essential to know who you're talking to, what kind of value you want to share with them, and what's going to really help them in their day to day. Um, so I think that you can't really do DevRel without starting out and getting to know your audience and starting to break down, you know, who they are and what they need and what makes them tick. I agree. I mean, uh, SJ nailed it there. The, the, bo the bottom line is you have to understand who you're targeting, who you're talking to, and why you're talking to them. You have architects who have 20 years of experience in the same kind of situation as new developers who are two years out of college. And so they have different needs. And whenever you're building a developer relations strategy, you're building relationships with these people and they're all different. You can categorize them as front end developers, back end developers, database developers, you know, JavaScript, Java, C sharp. You have to know what it is you're trying to do with your community so you can best serve each and every one of those different segments. And we can segment them by title. We can segment them by their experience level. We can segment them by probably 50 different things. But the center of your developer relations strategy has to be how you're going to build relations or relationships with each of these developers to meet the goals of your current community. And so segmentation, I think, fits right in at the bottom layer. I mean, this is foundational for you to figure out which direction to take your strategy. Now, I'm curious, when, when, you, when you consider this, so you're, you're developing this strategy, you have your segmentation, and, and kind of like Jesse was saying, you say, all right, so we've got, and I'll just use this for a simplified example, we've got experienced front-end developers, new front-end developers, experienced back-end developers, young back-end developers, junior developers, whatever we want to call them. Do you then say, all right, we need one person who can talk to all of these groups, or we need four people, because I named four groups, and they need to have a specific ability to speak directly to said group? Uh, the, it's a good question. I don't think you need a specific person for each of the different segmentations, right? No different than you as a human can talk to a bunch of your different friends, no matter what walk of life they're in. You just have to understand their perspective, right? So right. just understand that whenever you're trying to, to get something out of a new developer, they're going to be really focused on growth and getting things done, right? They're still trying to make their mark. They're still trying to prove something. So you've got to have heavy tutorials, right? You're going to need to have content that helps them grow and learn. Whereas when you're talking to an experienced architect, he's going to be, it's a more nuanced conversation. He's, he might be someone you're trying to get to be an advocate and write some content for your community. You want him to contribute. And so it's just a different angle. I don't think you need different people for it, but I do think you have to understand that there are different developers are not just one block. Sarah Jane said it perfectly earlier right? They're not just all the same. There's a whole bunch of different types of developers within that developer bucket. Yeah, I'd like to elaborate a little on what you were saying, Jesse. You're, you're totally spot on. Um, I would also encourage folks to ensure that the segmentation approach that they're taking is not largely driven by um, internal nomenclature. This is something I've seen over and over at companies where um, the, the segmentation processes end up happening just because of the way internal content has evolved. So even the division between a front-end developer and a back-end developer 
is not necessarily something that's going to resonate with all of your audience. Um, I know that certainly at Shopify, we ran into this a lot where um, we didn't have enough resources all the time for our backend developers. We had a ton of amazing front-end resources. And then we had folks who were doing both, who were just, who felt under, underserved in one area and, you know, fairly happy in, in another. And so I think it's crucial to be talking to your developers as much as you possibly can across, um, you know, across the community um, at as many different slices as you can. Um, for when you're beginning your strategy and throughout, just keeping, like this is what our jobs are ultimately at the end of the day um, as DevRel and as community folks is to really keep a pulse on who these people are um, and make sure that the rest of the company knows these stories. So they're not sort of building to this ambiguous, you know, front end developer audience that is super, super flat. Um, and not multidimensional like humans, human beings are, you know, <laughs> yeah. those crazy humans. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it was actually... a great point. Go ahead, Mary, my bad. No, Jesse, go up, please. I was just going to say, with Sarah Jane, you were talking, you lit something up in my brain. It's interesting to think about how often we're going to try to use our internal buckets and shove people into a mold that we already know. And that is a huge danger flag. We've got to be careful not to do that. Um, and I'm glad you brought it up because I was thinking, you know, as we talked about this, we said front-end developers and back-end developers. But to be honest, you're going to have to actually look at the data and have the relationship with the people that are in the humans, those crazy humans that are in your community to be able to serve them better because you may have things that don't necessarily fit into a mold. So I just wanted to jump in and say I love the way you put that. I thought that was great. Thanks. Sorry, Mary. <laughs> yeah, no, you're good. I was going to kind of progress this a little bit, but it, it works perfectly here too. Um, but I'm curious about, you know, those molds that we're talking about tend to be the, the company personas, right? That product and marketing and people have come up with already. Where do those fit in or where do you think those fit in next to audience segmentation that DevRel is doing as well? Do they work together? Are they the same thing or is it completely separate? piece of the puzzle. Okay. So I, I have strong opinions about this. <laughs> Good. <laughs> um, I have seen a lot of, you know, outsourced market research to create these personas. And I, I the concept of a persona, I feel like is um, really helpful in terms of building empathy throughout the company. So we're like, okay, we're building this tool for Jen. She's a front end developer that works in JavaScript. Like, she is 25 years old on her first job, but does Jen really exist? Does Jen a real human being? Like sometimes <laughs> Jen is this like fake mashup of a bunch of like data and market research. And I much prefer to leverage our relationships as Jesse was talking about in the community to actually showcase real people that are in the community now that are using our tools. So video interviews, bringing them into the office for AMAs, like things like that. So, you know, Building empathy for a real person as opposed to sort of a cute graphic cartoon is, um, I feel like, ultimately a lot more impactful. So um, I think personas have their place, but actually making them real human beings as often as you can versus a sort of mashup of, you know, dimensions like demographic and psychographic dimensions um, can be a lot more impactful. Yeah, it's that. funny. It's it's funny you mentioned this because I was actually it, it was actually one of my checkouts a few episodes ago. Uh, the, this book called The Tyranny of Metrics, where they actually talk about how when you genericize information and you throw a stock photo up there, the ability to to relate to that that persona is gone. Mm -hmm. um, no one loves a stock photo. 
Um, as much as we all enjoy the website, women laughing, eating salad, those people aren't real. They aren't really laughing and they're not really eating salad. Um, at the same time, like, like you're saying, you know, Jen's 25 working her first time. It's like, and it's always like Jen and Amy, like those are the people every single time it's a female and it's Steve and John when it's a guy like these, the longer you work in the industry, the less these personas mean anything to you. You cannot relate to them. You cannot empathize with them. Um, and yet, because that's the metric that's been given out, that's the thing that continue, we continue to see, which is kind of sad, I think. Yeah, it's what we, what we do on dzone.com is we actually pull people and feature them. So I was speaking at Developer Week earlier this year and I threw up a slide. And on the slide, I got his permission for first was Eric Dietrich. He's a contributor on dzone.com, does a fantastic job. He's contributed like 350 articles and I got his picture from him you know, put him up and this was one of our personas, right? On how to build an advocate in your community. I'm a huge fan of using real humans. I mean, at the end of the day, we're people, right? We can't forget that. And when we genericize that stuff, we, we lose some of that, some of the humanity in it. And I love the idea because one, I think that sometimes people can hide behind a persona, right? And they use, they use the data and massage it to do something that they're looking to do anyway, again, fitting a mold. Rather than just looking at the humans, if you've got a community, look at the humans that you have there, try to meet their need and make them your spotlight. You can't go wrong with that. Right. And, and a lot of times, if you actually focus on the humans you're working with, because I, I know a lot of companies that I work with, they, 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 they want to find their champion in the community, someone who's going to advocate on your behalf, who's not a DevRel specialist, but is a right. practitioner. And they're going to go out and say like, hey, product X is awesome. And I know because I use it. If you personalize that instead of personaizing that, I think it, it shows more value. Like it, it gives you the ability to really stretch it out. Mm -hmm. Agree. Yeah, and I think there's. Go ahead. I was going to say it also gives you an opportunity to see the outliers, right? Where maybe this person is a front end web developer, but they're using your platform in a completely different way than other people are, mm -hmm. right? And if you only focus on that generic persona, then you tend to go, oh, front end developer, they fall into that bucket rather than taking the time to dig into their specific use case a little more directly. And I, I want to say too, and if anyone disagrees, please, please speak up. Um, but I think please sub personas, <laughs> no, <laughs> that's a whole other conversation. Um, but I think personas have their place, right? I just, I think they work well for cool. We're targeting this general audience and we're, you know, wanting to run ads for these specific types of, of roles and careers and things like that. But when it comes to DevRel, we need to dig deeper to understand those specifics and be able to build those relationships and have those deeper conversations that then let us, you know, help our marketing and product teams dig into it more and say, hang on, this, this generic bucket is kind of still applicable, but needs to be tweaked a little bit for these specific markets or these specific ads or these specific things. So I think there's benefit to both, but specifically for DevRel, personas and being super generic about stuff isn't the great way to go like we've been talking about. I agree. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And I would also add that I think that in DevRel and in you know marketing and community overall, there's a place for personas when it comes to the folks that may not already exist in your community that you would like to be able to reach out to. So maybe mm -hmm. sort of aspirational personas like, 
perhaps your community is a little bit um, non-diverse and you would like to reach out to more women or more people of color. Um, so perhaps there's, you know, some folks that are active in specific groups and communities that you can reach out to. And again, humanize. Um, definitely don't make a diversity persona <laughs> um, right. because that will not be a real human. <laughs> Um, but, you know, interview folks who maybe aren't part of your community and maybe, you know, let them know about, or maybe we can sell them on the community later, but just get to know who they are as people um, and create that as a, you know, aspirational persona to do, to, to create actual um, strategies around to attract more people. I, yeah, I like the idea of using it when they don't exist, because when they do exist, we should just use the data. Right. If mm -hmm. you've got access to the data in your community, you should be mining that and that should tell you the personas. You don't have to make them up. Right. You can actually do the, the legwork to figure out how many, you know, what are the demographics of your community? Right. Based on the, the people in the community, what are their intrinsic motivators, you know, based on what you observe. So let the data do a lot of the work for us so that we don't have to make stuff up. I'm a big fan of that. There's also so much we can do with this data beyond just the power of, of segmentation for our outreach um, strategies. It's like building that internal community, sharing some of these, you know, product feedback nuggets with, uh, with the product team um, that a developer is really, really benefiting from a specific product rollout. Um, and that will make the product team feel much better than saying, hey, you really met this, like, the, the needs of this artificial human being. So mm -hmm. um, definitely tons of things to be done with segmented data. So I'd actually love to dig into that, that data and those measurements a little bit more. What types of things are you measuring in order to figure out who falls into your core audience and what those people look like or what roles they fall into? Can I ask a qualifying question? Absolutely. When we say core audience, mm -hmm. can we elaborate on that a little bit? Well, I, sure. I, I, I think with core audience, like it seems that most product focused companies have an idea like, you know, certain companies are like, all right, well, we do logging and monitoring. We're focused on DevOps. Uh, yeah. We are a platform as a service. We focus on cloud native applications. Uh, you know, that kind of like yeah. very broad mm -hmm. um, core like it's weird because you're saying core but at the same time it's a very broad definition of core audience like yeah you know i you know we we focus on devops we don't need to be at the free and open source developers conference yeah so um with that qualification which is kind of what i thought i just wanted to make sure <laughs> i was on the same page um i would say you know some of the things that humanize again this data is um surveys um, and how do we actually break down, you know, what's important in, in terms of what we're asking these folks? Um, I think that, you know, the basic stuff that we look at a lot, demographics, geographics, programming languages, um, I would say all of the above, but I think one of the most important things and something that's a little bit hard to sometimes uh, frame as a question or get to the heart of is ensuring that our core audience is someone that we actually are solving pain for and solving problems for on a regular basis. Um, and I think that depending on, you know, if it's a platform, APIs, tool, whatever it may be, um, typically these are living and breathing, evolving products. And that pain that we're solving can, can change over time. That core is often, you know, continuously there. Um, but uh, like for at Shopify, for example, we were, 
doing all kinds of different things for all kinds of different developers. So it was really hard to say what our core, core audience was at the end of the day. I guess e-commerce developers, but that's an extremely broad audience as right. well. Mm -hmm. um, and so who were we actually solving pain for on a daily basis? Um, and that that's a whole other can of worms though. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we boil that down into a simple question. You know, who are we helping? How are we helping them and why are we helping them, right? I mean, from the product perspective, when you start out with these things and you don't have a community and you know, you're making up personas, you have to establish this thing called product market fit, right? Is the product that right. I have gonna work and fit and help people in this market, right? So, you know, back to Sarah Jane's comment, yeah, e-commerce developers, that's kind of big, that's broad, that's huge. Um, but, you know, making sure that we, we figure out how to bring the, that we keep talking about the human element, I love that. Um, bring that in to making sure that we're just helping people. That's what, it, that's really what community is about to me. Community is a, it's a human thing. It's, it's creating an online space uh, where for me with, with the answer our product, where developers belong and belonging is a core human need. It's something that we all desire and we're just trying to do it with people online because we're living in a distributed world. And as long as we're focusing on that, Right, helping people, making sure that we understand how we're helping them and why we're helping them based on that demographic data, that's what we're all about. And I think as long as we're, we're focusing on um, our core audience being those who we help the most, I think that's a really good place to be. And I, and I think yeah. in, in, in some way, like it, you also have to kind of support the idea that there's going to be, when it comes to, you know, like we say, industry programming, geographic locations, demographics, there's going to be edge cases. I've never worked for a company that was like, we really need to get into that Antarctic space. I'm sure that's where we need to be. Um, <laughs> You're gone. Like, you, I, yeah, no one, no one says, you know what, PJ, get in your car, drive to Nunavut, which is a province in upper Canada, and I hang mean, out with- that would be really cool. That would be cool if, if I did. Oh, yes, but- That might have to be edited out. That was terrible. Yeah. That was, I thought my job was the bad jokes. I thought that was yeah. like my thing. Um, but but in, all, in all seriousness, like, like narrowing that down, but also understanding like the, the reverse approach. Like, I don't want to say the negative approach, but saying like, you know, okay, so people who are, who are writing scratch and getting into programming in their sixties probably aren't the group that we're trying to teach e-commerce stuff to. Um, and that's okay. Understanding that, you know, we have to find the community that's right for what we're doing is important. But, you know, also saying that like, you know, this person who's way over here that happened to use our product one time might not be the exact person we're looking for. So we mm -hmm. don't want to focus our resources there, but also analyzing why was that person there in the first place and realize there may be, there might be a whole other community over here that we mm -hmm. never thought about. Mm -hmm. So it's finding right. that balance between what is an edge case and what is an edge case that should be brought in as not an edge case. Right. That's part of the reason why I love approaching this as, you know, what, what problem are people trying to solve? Mm -hmm. And that kind of, it's similar to what we've been talking about, right? How are, what type of people are we helping? What are we helping people do? But framing it slightly differently lets you look at it and go, okay, well, people who are finding this most successful, people who are getting the most out of our product are solving this problem. Not they're using our product in this specific way, but they're fixing this major pain point for themselves, right? And I had a client last year, middle of last year, I guess, who, you know, I was having this exact conversation of like, cool, 
who's your main audience? They're like, well, we've got QA developers and we've got DevOps engineers and we've got, you know, front end and back end because you can hook into the API, but you can also do this. And we've got customer service people who are reproducing problems for people over here and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, hang on. <laughs> like we've, we've got to figure out a way to break that down uh, my, and make it my, smaller. My favorite answer when I talk to a new client is like, well, who is your, who is your target audience? Well, technology, people in technology. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, every wow. company, every company is a technology company. <laughs> yep. Like you yes. work at the bank, it's a technology company. You work at the hospital, yeah. it's a technology company. Car insurance, yeah. guess what I'm going to say? Like mm-hmm. literally mm-hmm. every company is a tech company. Um, yeah. So saying that you reach out to people in technology is not a valid, that is not segmentation, that is the world. Right, right. You, great. So you started at 7.5 billion. How could we narrow this down? <laughs> Let's narrow that down. Just, just a little. Just, just a slightly, little. Slightly. But I think, I think something. I, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. I think there's something to be said as well for you know how overwhelming it can be when you, especially as a new company or a new um, product or company starting to build community, if you haven't thought mm-hmm. about it before, um, it can see like just we've already touched on how overwhelming it can feel, right? Uh, yeah. Developers, yeah, okay, that's huge. But maybe look at what you're already amazing at internally. Um, and so for example, I'm going to use another Shopify example. Um, but we were front runners in, uh, rolling out GraphQL in our, in our APIs. Um, and so we went with that. We were, we did it at a time where, you know, it's obviously the hotness it's everywhere right now. Um, but I feel like, you know, we, we started with GraphQL like two, three years ago and it was starting to build some momentum. And so we latched onto that created a few workshops around GraphQL and took it to a bunch of conferences specifically around GraphQL. And that was really successful for us. And that wasn't driven by, um, you know, what our community was telling us. That was us identifying something that we were really good at. And we had an opportunity to kind of sh- uh, shine a light on considering the, the industry was kind of looking at it and it ended up being a really good move for us. Um, right. We opened our doors up to a lot more developers that way that maybe didn't know about Shopify. Mm-hmm. As, a, as a platform. Right. So and I think identifying that unique, that unique quality, right? You can help people collaborate. You can help people solve problems. You can help people work better together or communicate better or whatever that is. I think that's such a different way to look at who your audience is, right? And it lets you kind of view things in a, from a different angle that lets you go, oh, well, for helping people collaborate or for, you know, informing people of this new technology or if we're um, trying to help people understand good practices in this particular area, it helps you kind of go, oh, okay, well then who needs to know those good practices? Who is interested in this new technology or who could best benefit from these workshops, right? And it lets you kind of have a different viewpoint of the goals that your developer relations or community team pursues specifically in addition to some of the focus of the rest of the company. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to think about why you're doing it. You know, Mm -hmm. why did you build the community in the first place? Why did you build the company in the first place? Why are you here? Right. The community should be an extension of that to help drive the why of the company at large. Right. And whether you're, you know, whether you're a game company trying to get, people to be entertained and help them build using your own technology. You're a huge conglomerate. You're an insurance company. Everybody's trying to 
to get their vision, you know, why they built the company in the first place. And community should be an extension of that to try to help people um, come in, learn and grow and help them be better at what they're doing alongside of you. Mm -hmm. Speak in my language, Jesse. (laughs) (laughs) We're all community people. I love it. I I think that the, the, the best part of it too is the fact that you use the term extension. The community is an extension of what you want to do. I think that, uh, you know, in, in my experience, I've worked for a few companies that say the community is the leverage that we want. It's, community should never be the leverage. These are the people that, you know, you're, you're building out to. These are, these are your peeps. You don't, you don't mess with your peeps. Your peeps are not your leverage. Your peeps are the people that you go and eat pizza with. Like that's what it's about. They're, they're the people who don't work for you who are into what you're doing. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's something that I think a lot of people are missing, especially when they start to think about developer relations and, and audience segmentation. They're like, oh, well, if we can just, you know, wrangle all these people in and get them convinced that what we're doing is awesome, mm-hmm. then we're done. And it's like, you know, DevRel, in the same way as development, is never done. Um, there's always new community members. There's always people who are in the community who are leaving and doing other things. This is, it's, it's constant churn. You have to constantly be working with them. And if you're not a member of that community, this is something I've always believed. If you're not a member of that community, there's no way for you to extend into that community. Uh, Join up, sign up, be a participant. Don't just, you know, watch or, you know, toss up a booth at an event and be like, yeah, yeah, we're totally part of this community. Throwing money at something doesn't, you know, doesn't make you a good stepdad. Just saying. Um, (laughs) Wow. I I don't know where that came from. But, uh, like so PJ. much of my content, like so much of my content on this show it came from somewhere. I am basically spitballing. Y- y'all should see my talks. They're fantastic. Cause I don't even know what I'm going to say. So my last question that I would love to touch on is kind of, and I'm, I'm guessing I know the direction this is going to head in based on our conversation thus far. Um, but what comes next after you've established that specific audience that you're pursuing? What's the next step? Well, Go ahead, I have SJ. a whole list of things. I have a whole list of things, but we've touched on a lot of it. But I think um, one thing that, again, to address that feeling of, okay, we've identified these audiences that we can solve pain for and solve problem for and help. Um, how do we even start? Like, especially for perhaps communities that you aren't yet a member of. Um, so what can you do to make those initial steps? I think that um, identifying, and typically I think if the value prop and the mission of your company that you're working with or the company you work for uh, is clear, um, there's going to be a number of overlapping audiences that can benefit. And so creating some sort of value add, be it a workshop or content or a talk, um, that can be applicable to you know more than one of these audiences at once uh, it can be an effective strategy to start. Um, one of my clients that I'm working with right now is uh, essentially a refurbished, a recycled server material, um, working with computing storage, and um, I have tr- I've been trying to identify you know what communities can we start to make inroads with, um, and so. I was able to identify, you know, there's a whole movement around green computing and sustainable computing. And then there's another um, audience that they're already well, uh, pretty involved with called the circular economy. And the circular economy is essentially just 
a worldwide movement to as much as possible, instead of creating new things, recycling what's already out there. And so there's content that can be created and, and value that can be added to, um, that will be interesting to both of these audiences and both of these communities. And so as they're getting started, this is one of the approaches they can take to start to, you know, identify um, how they can add value to multiple audiences at once. Cool. Um, I'll tell you something that I don't want you to do that you should never do. And that's immediately turn all your data over to marketing. Um, <laughs> you know, we had, we were doing some, uh, we, we've had some focus groups and things in the past and that's, you know, sometimes developer relations will report up into marketing and, you know, back to those, you know, how to use the data. I think there's a responsibility to protect it, you know, back to what uh, PJ was saying earlier, they're your people. You should be part of that community. Um, and so, uh, don't, I don't, don't give it over to marketing, never stop learning from what the data is trying to tell you. And don't be afraid to change your direction and your strategy. If your initial assumptions were wrong, right. Um, always be willing to learn. I think another one that, uh, is big because whenever you start figuring out and getting your community, you want growth and you want expansion in that community. Um, and I think you do that the same way that you do it in person with other humans, celebrate your small wins thank people, build a community that is, you know, is fun to be a part of, right? Use your gamification engines in the real world, give some real kudos and real awards and just keep it fun. Because if innovation and technological growth is something that should be fun, we are making the world a better place with every line of code we write, I hope. And that's the goal of just about every developer I've ever met. Um, you know, I've got a large team here. I had a large team at the last company I was at. And that's what drives developers each and every day, at least the ones I work with, is they want people to use their technology, help each other grow, and make the world better through the stuff that they do every day. And so as I think about, you know, what comes next after you've established the audience, figure out how to help them grow and do better each and every day. And you'll be doing amazing things and you'll be surprised at how quickly your community will come together, turn into advocates, and make you look like a rock star. I think, I think the interesting thing to kind of jump, jump onto what Jesse and, and SJ both said, the, I think one of the key factors to once you found that group and, and you're, you're a participant is be humble. Um, like, yeah, you might be the rock star. You might be the number one speaker in some community because you've been doing this for a bazillion years. But you know what? In, in, in the grander scheme of things, your humility is what endears you to people, not the fact that you're up there shooting your mouth off in front of a crowd of thousands or whatever. Um, like the, the whole rock star idea, that's great. Be a rock star for your community. Don't be a rock star in your community. Agreed. Never be afraid to learn because like I said, your original assumptions may prove out to be completely wrong. Exactly. But it may be the best thing ever that you change and you go in the direction that's most helpful. It's like the old military adage says, you know, a plan is always wonderful right until you meet the moment of battle and then everything changes. Yep. Mm. I'm full of quotes today. It's awesome. <laughs> you are. I'm, I'm on fire. <laughs> um, but right. this, is, this has been good, I think, Mary Checkouts. Yes. So for those of you, if there are people new to the show, this is something that we do every episode, uh, something that's maybe happening in tech, maybe not, just something that we think is cool and you should check it out. Um, and we invite our guests to participate. So um, generally, this is like the, the, the funnest part of the show. I don't know, the whole show's fun. <laughs> Who am I kidding? Um, 
but uh, I will start it off um, as usual. I will I will start with a musical reference. Uh, for those of you familiar with the musical Hamilton, um, the original soundtrack, Aaron Burr was played by a gentleman called Leslie Odom Jr. He has an amazing voice. Uh, he has had a couple albums, one of them a Christmas album, if you're into that kind of scene. Um, but recently he came out with a new single called Under Pressure. It is not a cover of Under Pressure uh, by David Bowie and Queen. It's a completely different song, kind of an R jazzy R&B feel. Absolutely amazing. The man's voice is smooth like butter. It's a beautiful song and you should check it out. We'll put a link in the show notes. Also, um, I think like Thursday or Friday, a, a brand new video came out, video game came out on the Switch. And it is simply called The Untitled Goose Game. Um, if you've been on Twitter or Reddit or any kind of social media, you've probably seen people talking about being a goose and annoying the living crap out of people. And uh, I can say I, I played the game over the weekend. It is fantastic. It's kind of puzzly. The graphics aren't like super high quality, but it's fun. And you are a goose who is basically terrorizing a small town. Um, it's just ridiculously fun. Um, so good natured and cute. Um, we actually had like, it's a single player game. Uh, everyone in the family was sitting around watching as we took turns, like trying to figure out, you know, how to get this guy to drop his keys so we could steal them and then open up the garden. Like all this little like stupid stuff. It's great. It's a great game. Untitled goose game from house house is the name of the company. They're fantastic. And you should check it out. Might bring back bad memories for me. I was chased by a goose when I was a kid. <laughs> well, so I know what the after pulse is going to be about today. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe, maybe this is therapy, though. Like, maybe this is your way to really take that back, Mary. Hmm. Become the goose, Mary. Become the goose. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> SJ, how about you go next? Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. So I want to say something about Hamilton. So I was and am still, although I listened to it so many times, obsessed with the Hamilton soundtrack a few years ago when it all sort of like became part of the zeitgeist. And I feel really lucky that I was able to see the original cast in New York. Nice. Except Leslie Odom Jr. was out Ouch. that night. And it was oh. like the biggest bummer. The so biggest cool. So I brought up two bad memories for, for, for <laughs> yep. two people. Jesse, feel free when she it gets it, to PJ. your turn to just... Uh... I'm good, PJ. I'm good. Uh, I'm all good. Um, <laughs> so on the topic of... Oh, and I'm trying to segue to my uh, checkout, but it's not happening. But basically, <laughs> I am reading a really cool book called Trick Mirror um, by a journalist called... Uh, sorry, named... Gia Tolentino. Um, she is on the staff at The New Yorker now, and she's worked for Jezebel, which is a publication online that I've been following for many years and I'm a huge fan of. And essentially, this book is so far really depressing, but in a really cool way. Um, <laughs> it's kind of reflecting on how the internet has warped our sense of self and how we kind of reflect mm -hmm. on the world and how, um, how we interact with the world as a result of the internet. And also um, the sort of intersection of how all of the terrible things that are happening in politics um, impacts our sense of self um, and how we sort of like manifest who we are online. Anyway, so far it's a pretty dark but hilarious and insightful read. Um, and I, if you're into that kind of thing, I recommend it. If you're not, then I don't. <laughs> <Fair>. Awesome. <laughs> Jesse, you wanna go next? 
Wow. Um, yeah, PJ, everything you've said, I'm totally cool with. Uh, no bad memories. Okay, good. So I was afraid with- you were going to be like, last night I had a nightmare that Leslie Odom Jr. was a goose chasing me. <laughs> I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to edit myself would have brought everything together. Cohesion. <laughs> no, no, no issues with, with geese or gooses or whatever. No, none of that. I'm good. Um, biggest thing for me, you know, I'm a father of three boys, a uh, 16-year-old, a 13-year-old, and a 9-year-old. And I've recently been fascinated with the idea of nature deficit disorder. The idea that we're spending so much time in front of screens and digital devices that it's affecting how we think and how we behave, which is a really interesting tie-in to what Sarah Jane was talking about with the book and stuff she's reading. Uh, so, you know, as an outdoor enthusiast, I'm pulling my boys out there. And now I'm starting to know other, you know, starting to find other kids that want to be out doing that. And so encouraging them and seeing things. Uh, like screen time, counting apps, and what Apple's been doing with their devices um, is something really big on my mind. And I've been in technology for um, approaching 25 years. And so for the next uh, decade or so, I'm trying to figure out how I can give back uh, to the technical community in some meaningful way. So helping developers grow, um, you know, helping the people understand, uh, you know, I think we were talking about it earlier where, um, just responsibility and innovation uh, and trying to advance in some small way, however I can, uh, how we're interacting with the technology and bringing the humanity back into it. Because I think we use it too much as a shield um, and it gets us, it puts us too far from one another sometimes when we're in the same room. So um, that's kind of what I've been, uh, I've been working on and will hopefully continue to work on uh, in the future. Awesome. Very cool. Awesome. Well, I'll wrap stuff up today. Um, I was telling PJ earlier this morning, I've been having trouble this week as I've been trying to figure out what my checkouts are just because life has been chaotic and I'm trying to think back through like what I've been doing. And a lot of it has just. Ruh-roh. But it isn't super applicable for Hold like. On, Mary. Hiccup. Mary. Yeah. I, I just lost you. Yep. Uh, I got a pop-up saying that my internet connection was unstable. Um, is it better now? Yes. Yes. You seem, your, okay. your picture is clear and your voice is clear. So cool. Uh, where did you lose me? Um, why don't you just start from, let me wrap it up. Cool. All right. So I'll wrap it up. Um, I was telling PJ earlier that I was having a hard time figuring out checkouts for today um, because it's been a chaotic few weeks and, and haven't had a lot of downtime to dig into uh, TV shows or books or things like that because a lot of my free time, I've been trying to get outside to Golden Gate Park. I live in San Francisco and I'm right next to the park um, or things like that, which ties to know what you were just saying, Jesse. Um, but uh, two quick things. One that is kind of my checkout and is more my boyfriend's checkout, but he's not a part of the podcast, so I'm stealing it. Um, <laughs> but he, uh, a few weeks back, um, got a new 3D printer, um, and he got the Prusa Mark Five or Mark Three kit um, that he like assembled and and put together and stuff while we were on vacation. Um, and first of all, as far as documentation goes, um, their documentation is ridiculously good and a lot of fun. And they like include a bag of gummy bears for you to eat as you're putting things together. So you can reward yourself as you're putting the printer <laughs> together. Um, 
but it's also just, it's been fun to, to watch him dig into it. And it's been cool to see the, the various things that he's been able to build to like, you know, help out with stuff around the house. So like he printed a, a little piece that hooks onto his bike last night that makes it easier for him to carry his bike lock around. Um, in addition to just random little, like I have this cute little elephant, um, that I'll take a picture of and post a picture of on the show notes. Um, but cute little elephants that he printed out that now sits on my desk for me to fiddle with and fidget with while I'm on things like the podcast. Um, so if you're into makery things, I highly recommend the printer. It's been a great project for him and it's just a super nice 3D printer and a lot of fun to play with. Um, and the other thing that I've been doing that's not really a tangible thing, um, but I've been trying to force myself to get up a little bit earlier in the mornings, which if you know me, you know I am not a morning person. <laughs> um, and so that's difficult for me to do. <laughs> but I've been kind of finding that if I can convince myself to get out of bed, even just like 20 or 30 minutes earlier, which I failed miserably at this morning. Um, but if I can, you know, and I sit and not to be on my phone or on my computer, but just like read a book while I have my coffee in the morning or actually eat breakfast before I hop on meetings or things like that. And just which PJ is laughing at because I texted <laughs> him this morning and went, I'm going to be late to our check-in because I'm going to eat breakfast. Okay? And okay. I supported this, it being the most important meal of the day. It's true. <laughs> um, but I've been realizing that even just that extra 20 minutes has been super helpful for starting my day off right and just kind of getting me more um, calm and not stressed and more ready for the day. So if you haven't tried it, I highly recommend it. It's worth the less 20, 20 minutes of sleep sometimes. <laughs> right now because I'm prepping for a trip to Japan. And then as soon as I get back from Japan, I will probably sleep in again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I understand completely. I, I have a 17 year old. I'm hoping to sleep in again next year when she goes to college. It's going to be, it's a very exciting go. time. Yeah. I've got two teens. I'm the same boat as you PJ. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You, you, you feel me. You feel me. Yeah, I got you, bud. But this is awesome. SJ, Jesse, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, for those of you listening, you can always find us uh, at, at, at community underscore pulse on Twitter, uh, communitypulse.io on the interwebs. Um, feel free to hit both Mary, I, Jason, even though he wasn't here up on Twitter. We'll have mm -hmm. the show notes up and you can check out everything everybody's been talking about in their checkouts. Uh, and it's been a very exciting episode. Mary and has SJ and Jesse, where can folks find you, the two of you on Twitter yes. if they would like to, or anywhere online? You can find me at S-A-R-A-H-J-A-N-E-M-O-R-R-I-S. -R -R -I That's a nice, super long Twitter handle. <laughs> um, also, I just want to say a shout out. To, if anyone lives in Boston, I want to be your friend because I'm moving there in November, and I need friends. <laughs> nice. Become my friend. Uh, I am at J-L Davis 007. That's my secret identity, so don't give it out. <laughs> All right. You literally just said it on a podcast. Literally. <laughs> um, but we'll keep it secret. Jesse, I won't tell anyone. Um, That's everywhere. It's fine. <laughs> but awesome. Thank you so much for being with us. Um, kind of got in the habit of ending with a quote. So I have a quote here and I figured because of the Hamilton tie-in, we would go with something from uh, the absolutely amazing Lin-Manuel Miranda that kind of ties in with community and audience segmentation. Unless you learn how to be in your head, you'll never learn how to create. 
So with that, thank you from the Community Pulse, and we will see you next time. This has been another episode of the Community Pulse podcast. Find us on Twitter at community underscore pulse, online at communitypulse.io, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. We'll see you next time.